Welcome to the Data Guru Podcast. We're your hosts, Scarlett Burks and Laurel Wilhelm Volpe. We will trade off hosting duties this year to bring you a wide range of data experts discussing audience strategy, emerging trends, and practical ways to boost campaign performance. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to our next edition of the Data Guru podcast, where we are going to talk about all things email and email marketing. And to talk about this today, we are joined by two experts, Carolyn Knight and Linda Harrison. Both of you, will you introduce yourselves and tell us why you are the absolute best people to talk about this? Sure thing. Hi, I'm Carolyn. I've been in the email industry pretty much ever since I graduated college. And I started on the brand side, so managing an email program for a catalog retailer. And then I did that for about five years before coming over into the data side and working for Axiom and helping our clients to make the most out of their email campaigns and grow their revenue through email. So I'm also a author and I occasionally will speak at industry events. Awesome. We're so glad you're here. Linda, over to you. Well, Carolyn's the email expert, but I'm the data expert behind the scenes, helping find the right prospects for an email campaign. And I get a lot of emails. Does that count? Absolutely. We'll, we'll say it does for sure. So email has been talked about a lot in marketing publications, even though it is certainly not a new marketing tactic. And so I think there's been a return to email, it feels like. So let's let's kind of start with establishing that and exactly what we're going to talk about today. So a term that I've seen quite a bit lately is e-prospecting. So Carolyn, can you kind of set the stage for what we're talking about when somebody uh, talks about e-prospecting? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great point that email seems to have stuck around for going on decades now. I thought back in 2005 that it surely would have been replaced by now by social media or some other form of communication, but it definitely has stuck around and has a lot of power in terms of a communication tool. So for e-prospecting, obviously that's short for email prospecting. Um, And in essence, we're helping brands to use email marketing to reach out to new audiences outside of their own opted-in email universe. So these are individuals that the brand has previously been unable to reach via the email channel. And the way we do this is we accomplish this by compiling third-party opted-in agreements from individuals who have requested or opted in to receive offers or notifications or other information directly from partner brands. And then we take these people and we match them against the depth and breadth of all the available existing Axiom data attributes. And it allows us to create custom audiences ready to receive email messages from that brand. And it's all done in a privacy compliant manner and adhering to all the can spam guidelines. So that's kind of the high level of what e-prospecting truly is. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. And why do you think we're seeing a return to email? Well, I think it's because we like to talk to people about lots of different things across lots of different channels, right? So Email prospecting is just another way to reach consumers about things that may be important to them, whether it's the latest and greatest gadget that you might want to get someone as a gift or anything else in this world, right? I want to go across channel and email is a great one because of the cost involved in it. If you're thinking about economy 
and ecology, email's where it's at. Carolyn, isn't there a paper shortage right now? Yes. Yep. I've heard from several clients that they are having problems just getting their direct mail out the door because of all the different shortages that are happening in the industry right now. So a lot of people are using email as a backup for getting their messages to their customers. And to piggyback off of what Linda was saying, I think also email has stuck around so much because all the different social media channels and digital outlets that we have, they're all based on people's preference. So some people prefer Facebook, some prefer Twitter. It doesn't seem like there is one social media channel that everyone can agree to use. And if you've ever managed an event or try to get a group of people together, finding that one common source of what everyone's comfortable using can be difficult. And it seems email is that tried and true. You can always go back to an email address. Everyone still has an email address. People generally still check it. So I think that's why a lot of brands and consumers are still using email because it just is the way to get back to someone regardless of what their personal preferences are in the digital space. So that's a great point when you talk about all of the variety of digital channels that are available to us. And you've also mentioned direct mail. So I wonder, do we, do you have either one of you any stats or anecdotes about the effectiveness of pairing email with other tactics or just what you've seen in terms of return when people add this to their mix? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we see happen all the time with our clients. And because this is e-prospecting, these are people that haven't necessarily raised their hand to get information from that particular brand. So a lot of times our clients are using e-prospecting in conjunction with another digital channel or with direct mail to help boost the overall response rates that they're getting on other channels. And also it just helps to ingrain that brand awareness to the consumer. So you can almost think of it as the old school showing a billboard to a customer and them just seeing something over and over and having that ingrained in their in their brain can help to boost response rates when they get something that's asking for a particular action. So again, we see our clients using email to help prepare for a direct mail piece. So they may say, hey, look in your mailbox for this great offer that you'll be getting soon. And then to follow up on a direct mail piece to get people to act. And then in general, we see that there's at least a 20% lift when we're using at least one additional channel with our clients. So we've done a lot of testing where we're pairing direct mail with email and digital, and we're combining different cadences of those channels. But in essence, anytime we we look at the response rates, when we have at least two touches versus one, we see at least a 20% increase in response. So in general, we definitely see that working really well for our clients. So you mentioned a few metrics, which makes me want to dive down in a bit of a not really a rabbit hole, but something to peel back a little bit further, which is measurement and how can people look at the success of email campaigns, especially, but not only when tied to other campaigns. And then the follow-on question is something that's also been in the news. So if you want to put it all together, great. How does this change with iOS 15 and some of the, the changes that we're seeing come down the pike for email marketing? 
Great question. So I'll first tackle the Apple iOS 15 rollout. So basically, for those that are not aware, Apple introduced what they are calling mail privacy protection, and that allows Apple users to mask their IP address, and it prevents email opens from being tracked. So this is a pretty big deal in the email marketing world because as marketers, for years and years, the open rate was something that all email marketers use to gauge the success of their email campaigns. It allowed for all sorts of different testing to be done, subject line testing, day of week testing, time of day testing, and it gave that immediate feedback to marketers to see what's working and what's not. It also helped us to understand when people are just not interested in our emails anymore. We can tell if an individual hasn't opened an email in six months, three months, 12 months, and it allowed marketers to kind of shave off any people that are being inactive and to stop emailing them. So with this change, basically Apple is reporting every single email that's being delivered as opened. So it's artificially inflating open rates. And because Apple users make up almost 50% of the mobile market, it is a large percentage of people that are potentially impacted by this. That's you know been a big challenge for us. However, the open rate has always been somewhat of a misleading metric because it's not completely foolproof. In order for an email open to register, someone has to download images in their email. And sometimes there's a lot of situations in which that just doesn't happen. So marketers, while the open rate is a very useful tool for us to look at, it was never totally accurate. But what's happening now is that we really need to rely on the metrics that really make a difference. And what those are are our conversion metrics and just how that email is influencing ultimately getting new customers in the door as Axiom is so reliant on the data behind what's happening. So for us, we have always advised our clients to look at what we call response data or matchback data and take that audience that we are exposing an email to or exposing a digital ad to and seeing, you know, are they ultimately converting down the road, not just with that first email message. So I think that even though this change with how open rates are being calculated is at first a negative. I think at the end of the day, brands will start to take a deep dive into seeing how their audiences are performing, how they're reacting to email, and if they are ultimately converting down the road to see how that email is influencing the behavior of these new audiences. So at the end of the day, I think it's going to be a really good thing. It's just going to take some time for brands to really understand and get on board. Think about open rates like going to the mailbox. Does going to the mailbox and picking up your physical mail count as reading it? I say not. So now we're going to actually know that people opened it, read it, acted on it. That's what really matters at the end of the day. Not that I just picked up the mail from the mailbox, though I do love to do that. So as you were, as both of you were talking Another area that is experiencing a lot of change in the ecosystem are third-party cookies. And personally, I feel like the, the changes that the industry is seeing are forcing marketers and advertisers to look for more meaningful metrics. And it sounds like there's a similar movement happening with email marketing. Exactly what you were saying, Linda, just because I picked up the mail doesn't mean I actually read it. And so maybe there you know there is a silver lining in in all of the upheaval that that we're experiencing 
Yeah. And also when you think about the behavior that individuals take when reacting to different marketing messages, it's not always linear. So someone doesn't just get an email, click on it and make a purchase in, in one session. Typically it's, they may come back, they may do some research, they may look for a coupon code. So that direct attribution gets very difficult, especially when we're introducing so many other stimulus that people are getting, right? So they're getting Facebook retargeting ads, they're getting ads on Spotify, they're getting their email. So being able to tie back from the original data, the audiences that we're sending to via email to see where that lift is, it helps brands not only to understand the true impact, but also to better understand what the behavior of their prospects are and how they're coming through and which channels are coming in through. So that's a great segue into my next question, which was both both of you deal with a wide variety of clients. Have you seen some particularly innovative campaigns or applications of email? What have you seen? What are some of your favorite campaigns you've seen? And are there certain uh, verticals or certain industries that seem to be having more success than others? Sure. I can tackle that one first. So my favorite campaigns are the ones where we're using email to help integrate with other channels. So from an industry point of view, we definitely see a lot of success in the financial industry. Um, So a lot of credit cards and banks will use email to help prep that direct mail piece. And then as a follow-up to the direct mail piece, we actually see a lot of catalogers also using email for that same purpose to notify customers to expect a catalog in the mail. And then after that catalog hits to remind them to go and look for it, or if perhaps they threw it out, they can click through in the email and shop online. So those are some of my favorite campaigns. I also see email really successful at driving foot traffic into retail locations. And so for years, we worked with a furniture retailer where they would send out emails on the weekend to help drive people into their locations uh, while they're out doing errands for the weekend. So getting them on their mobile device and and trying to get that foot traffic in the door. So those are all some of my favorite campaigns that I've seen. And we've seen a lot of success from clients doing that. And then some other industries that we see, retail, travel, and hospitality. Again, financial offers we see a lot of success with, but we really do work with brands across all industries. And we see that other industries may include like automotive, for example, again, trying to drive traffic to into dealerships for the weekend and try to boost car sales. Another popular use of the email prospecting. But what's your worst? Would that be surveys? We'll say surveys have always been difficult. And I think that's just the nature of people not wanting to take the time to answer questions that they're not sure of. And yeah, I would say probably email surveys are some of the more difficult ones. (laughs) And I get a lot of survey requests, but mine are typically get a gift card or perhaps win a gift card. And I'm still just not that interested. Yep. Same here. And let's be honest, as marketers, we've probably sent some of those emails too. And it's really hard to get people to to respond. Even if it's something that you're truly invested in, you know, even my college will send out surveys for alumni and I, I don't take them. So even if you you think your audience is is really engaged, asking for people to take a survey is always a difficult one. You gotta be smart when you do those. It's a good point. And also thinking back to Carolyn, what you were saying about open rates being used for testing. So it's 
someone's going to have to figure out the best way to uh, to determine when to send emails because that definitely has an impact on on their efficacy, no doubt. It's a what's in it for me type of request in a lot of ways. You deliver that over the weekend to my my work email, it just goes in the garbage. What trends or do you guys see coming down the pike for for e-prospecting in particular or email in general if you, if you want to Yeah, sure. So I'll tackle that again. I I've just been seeing general increases. And again, I think right now with the way the industry is with labor shortages, and that's attributing to other shortages, a lot of our clients are coming and using email as their first touch when they may not have previously. So we are definitely seeing a trend on that and just a general increase in brands using email. And also, I will say getting more comfortable with the idea of using e-prospecting because they are reaching out to individuals that haven't opted in to receive emails directly from that brand. There was always a pre, you know, previously there was always a little bit of a negative connotation with using third-party emails for marketing use. And we're seeing that more and more brands are getting comfortable with that where they previously weren't. Partially a result of not missing out on opportunities that are out there in the marketplace. And obviously the other things that are going on in the industry with third-party cookies going away and other privacy impacts that are increasing for brands, we are seeing that they are getting more comfortable with using e-prospecting. So some of the companies that we haven't worked with in the past because it was a corporate decision not to use email for prospecting are now using it. So it's, it's a good thing. And it's definitely seeing increases across the board for us. I also see people wanting more scale. So they're willing to try multiple things to try and get increased scale, but get the right people still at the same time. So they're really interested in the data behind the scenes and how to find the right people for the right offer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're seeing that primarily in the financial space where card issuers, they need people with certain credit scores and certain criteria. And there's only a limited audience available out there that fit that criteria. So reaching them on whatever channel they can becomes extremely important. And if they can reach them on email, that's where they're going to try to reach them. And so we're, we're definitely seeing that where it's, it's definitely a reach situation. And again, with social media preferences and other new social media uh, channels coming out, it's dividing up audiences and what their primary method of communication is and what what they prefer to communicate on. So again, email being that tried and true, you can always reach someone for the most part is very attractive to some of our brands that have a limited reach. So how does a brand get started if they want to try e-prospecting? So that's a great question. I guess you could just contact your Axiom sales representative and let them know that you're really interested in learning more about how to get started with an e-prospecting campaign. One of the benefits of doing this is it's pretty quick to get started and it's a it's easy to get a campaign out the door relatively quickly. And then at the same time, you get pretty quick results. So it's something that brands can use to react to what's going on in, in the environment very quickly. So again, just using that example of having a, a paper shortage and something that is out of the control of a brand and they have to do something to react to that, using e-prospecting is something that they can get a campaign out the door pretty fast. And if you don't know who your sales executive is, you can reach out at info at axiom.com. Okay. So to close us out, 
We always like to end on a lighthearted note. So it is getting cooler uh, now. The holidays are, are fast approaching. Many holidays are fast approaching. So my question to both of you is, what is either your most memorable or your craziest holiday tradition? So when I was a child, my parents often wanted to go back to sleep after we opened up our presents for the holidays, right? And my mother had started the turkey and started the giblets in the pan. And I we'd all gone back to sleep. I woke up and there was smoke in the house. And I started to go in the kitchen and we had a swinging door. So I knew, you know, he's in fourth grade, touched the door to see if it was hot and it wasn't hot. But I still didn't want to open that door. So I tried to wake up my parents and they said, well, are there flames? Do you just see smoke or are there actual flames? I'm like, the house is on fire, folks. Get up. And the copper pot had gotten so hot, it melted to the burner. And when my mother went in there, the wall was on fire. The burner was stuck to the pot and she pulled it out, the electric element out, and threw it out in the snow because I lived in northern Illinois. And it it sizzled down to the ground about five feet of snow with the turkey giblets in there. And we didn't have great gravy that year, but it was okay. But so always know if there's actually a fire before waking up your parents. That's what I learned. <laughs> I don't know how either one of us are going to top that, Carolyn. <laughs> well, I had I had a little tradition, but Linda's story made me think of another situation that happened. So as a child, my parents never let me drink soda. And I would always run into the kitchen and my mom would always have a Coke on the uh, can of Coke. And I would sneak sips of it when she wasn't looking and I'd run back out of the kitchen. And on Thanksgiving, she was draining the fat from some bacon that she had cooked and she put it in the can of Coke. And I ran in there when she wasn't in the kitchen, grabbed the can. And despite it being very hot, took a swig of bacon fat. And so to this day, I'll never forget that Thanksgiving where I took a swig of bacon fat out of the can, the can of Coke. Fortunately, you didn't burn yourself. You didn't hurt yourself because it's a funny memory. Yeah, no, it was just like, it was a little warm, but I still took the <laughs> It still was not um, Coke. <laughs> no, it was not tasty at all. Okay. So, so I have a recent story. So now that my siblings and I are all older, we don't buy each other gifts any longer. We have, a, you know, just a silly gift exchange. And there is one present that makes an appearance every year whoever gets it, and this is obviously now extended in-laws and children and everybody. So we have a, a figure that I have no idea where he came from. His, it's, a, it's a figure of a pig with a spring in the middle. It's like he has a top half and a bottom half, and he's called Slicey the Pig. And it's, he, it's like he is cutting bacon out of his own stomach. It's the most disturbing thing, but it's also funny at the same time. He's like a cartoony thing. So anyway, Slicey the Pig is my um, <laughs> recent holiday tradition that makes everybody laugh when uh, when he shows up. He sounds like a slinky. He's like a, he's like a pig it. slinky. It's the weirdest thing ever. And on that note, happy holidays, everybody. Thank you both so much for, for your time today. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>